Welcome to Ideas Without Borders, where we take a deeper look at societal problems and form meaningful connections with the global community. This podcast is run by the student members of the University of Waterloo's Engineers Without Borders chapter. The University of Waterloo is situated on the Hall de Man tract, land that was promised to the six nations of the Grand River and is the traditional territory of the neutral Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. We encourage you to take a moment to also consider and acknowledge the land from which you are listening. In today's episode, we will be talking about the COVID vaccine. I'm sure a lot of us are looking forward to getting the vaccine and maybe you've been following this closely in the news. My name is Camille Walters and I am one of the podcast co-leads for this term. And I'm joined by my co-host for this episode, Pascal Walters. So can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Pascal. I'm a master's student in systems design engineering at the University of Waterloo. And I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Waterloo in biomedical engineering. This episode will be broken down into three parts. Background of the vaccine, getting the vaccine, including what happens after you get the vaccine, and misinformation. As a disclaimer, the information presented in this episode is current as of the recording of this episode. We have attempted to use high quality information as much as possible, including governmental and academic sources. We will link important sources in the description of this episode. Background of the vaccine. First of all, why is it important to get the vaccine? Well, for most of us, our lives have been completely upended since the start of the pandemic. It's important to get the vaccine so that we can stop the spread of COVID and return to our normal lives. Vaccinating the population will mean that fewer people will get sick and prevent the virus from circulating in our community. When we all get immunized, we can obtain herd immunity, which will protect those who may not be able to get the vaccine. So what does an mRNA vaccine mean? In Canada, we have four vaccines authorized by Health Canada to prevent COVID-19. They are Moderna, Pfizer, or BioNTech, AstraZeneca, and Janssen or Johnson and Johnson. The Moderna and Pfizer ones are both mRNA vaccines and the AstraZeneca and Janssen are viral vector-based vaccines. In humans, when you are infected by a virus, the immune system releases antibodies to try and fight this infection. These antibodies are specific to the virus, so it can take a couple of days for the body to make enough of these specialized antibodies. After the infection is cleared, the body remembers the antibodies that it made, so it can fight the same infection faster the next time. This means that you become immune to this infection. Usually, vaccines such as the flu vaccine use a weakened or inactivated virus or part of a virus to trigger an immune response. You won't get sick from these vaccines, but they teach the body which antibodies to make so you become immune. In the mRNA COVID vaccine, instead of actually using the virus that causes the disease, the mRNA teaches the cells how to make the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, which is found on the surface of the virus. Once the cells make the protein, it appears on the cell's surface. The immune system detects the protein and starts to make antibodies to build an immune response. The AstraZeneca and Janssen vaccines contain a harmless adenovirus that has the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. The body then learns how to detect and respond to this protein. So since it's an mRNA vaccine, Will it affect my DNA? The way that mRNA works in cells is that it only exists in the cytoplasm. It doesn't actually have the ability to enter the nucleus, which is where all the DNA of the cell is stored. So no, the mRNA will be broken down inside the cytoplasm before we'll ever be able to make it into the nucleus, which is where we find our DNA. Getting the vaccine. 
as you mentioned, there's a bunch of different brands of vaccines. So could I get one shot of one brand and then one shot of another? Um, so the reason that there are different brands of vaccines is because the COVID pandemic has significantly impacted the whole world. So there have been several companies and researchers attempting to find the best solution to put an end to this. Many manufacturers around the world are trying to solve this problem. So we have many proposed solutions. The two mRNA vaccines that are available in Canada provide over 90% efficacy. The AstraZeneca vaccine has 62% efficacy and the Janssen vaccine has 66% efficacy. However, there are some differences. The minimum age for the Pfizer vaccine is 16 and the Moderna, AstraZeneca and Janssen vaccines require that you be over the age of 18. Um, another big difference is the time between doses. The Moderna vaccine recommends 28 days. The Pfizer vaccine recommends 21 days. The AstraZeneca vaccine recommends four to 12 weeks, and the Janssen vaccine actually only needs one dose. A big difference is the storage temperature. The Moderna and Pfizer vaccines need to be stored at very cold temperatures. The Moderna vaccine at minus 20 degrees Celsius and the Pfizer vaccine at minus 70 degrees Celsius. But the AstraZeneca and Janssen vaccines can be stored at two degrees Celsius, which is just in like a normal fridge. Since the world is still in the early stages of the rollout of these vaccines, there has not been enough time to study any effects of mixing and matching the types of vaccines. Currently in Canada, the vaccine distribution to the public has been slower than anticipated, so local shortages could lead to a need for mixing types of vaccines. In Britain, the government advises that mixing vaccines can be done as a last resort. So far, no adverse effects have been reported. However, we don't know if there have been any changes in efficacy. It has been suggested that mixing mRNA and the viral vector vaccines could potentially lead to a better resistance against the variants. However, clinical trials are needed before we can make any conclusions on this. Do the current vaccines protect against the variants of concern that we've been hearing about a lot? Yeah, so just a little introduction on the variants. Um, there are three that have become significant. The first is the B117 variant, which was first detected in the UK the 501YV2 variant, which was first detected in South Africa, and the P1 variant, which was first detected in Brazil. All three of these variants have been detected in Canada. The question that arises with these variants is their ability to spread the disease severity if you contract one of the variants, the potential for reinfection and vaccine effectiveness. The South African and British variants are reported to be more transmissible and deadlier, and it's possible to become reinfected with a variant once you've recovered from a previous COVID infection. Research has shown that the vaccines are slightly less effective against the South African variant, but it's still encouraged to get the vaccines. Um, these variants go to show that it's really important that everyone gets vaccinated so that it stops new variants from popping up around the world. Interesting. So you were mentioning before that some of the vaccines that have been approved for use in Canada need two doses. So why is that? So the three vaccine types that need the two doses are the Moderna, Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccines. Um, and they need the two doses in order to be fully effective. So what the first dose does is it shows your immune system what the SARS-CoV-2 virus looks like and prepares an immune response. Then when you have the second dose, it boosts the immune response and reminds the immune system to stay alert for any further infection. To get full efficacy, you do need the two doses. For example, the Pfizer vaccine only has an efficacy of 52% after one dose. But when you get the second dose, the efficacy goes up to 95%. Okay, 
You were mentioning earlier that there's a certain amount of time that you should wait between doses. But we've been hearing that in Canada, they've been actually leaving it for longer. So is it okay to go longer between doses than initially recommended? Yeah, so in Canada, we've actually been allowing people to delay the second dose up to four months after the first dose, which is significantly longer than what the um, manufacturers recommend. And we're actually the only country in the world with this delay. So we don't really know what this means in terms of long-term immunity, obviously because we need at least four months to pass before we can make any conclusions. But the reason why we have this long delay is that it allows for more people to get their first doses in an effort to immunize a greater proportion of the population. So far, results have been promising, but again, as I said, not enough time has elapsed to fully analyze the results. Interesting. So if I already had COVID, would I need to get the vaccine um, or am I already immune? Once you've been infected with the virus, you will be immune to it. However, it's still recommended that you obtain your two-dose vaccination because there are severe health risks associated with COVID-19 and reinfection is possible. You may not have enough antibodies from the first infection to prevent you getting sick again. Okay, good to know. So what if I'm pregnant or breastfeeding or I've also heard that you shouldn't get it if you're allergic to peanuts. Um, so who shouldn't get the vaccine? Well, to answer the question about being pregnant or breastfeeding, this concern may arise because the large phase three trials of the mRNA vaccines did not include pregnant women. However, these vaccines have already been out in several countries for quite some time now, and no adverse reactions have been specifically reported in pregnant women. This also goes against the fact that pregnant women who are infected with COVID-19 face serious health risks. So it is encouraged that pregnant women still obtain the vaccine with consultation with their doctor. If you've previously had a severe allergic reaction to any of the components of the vaccines, you should not get it. This is the only case where it's not recommended that you get the vaccine. You can look on the Government of Canada website to see the ingredients of the vaccines to make sure that you're not allergic to any of the components. And as a last case, if you're younger than 18 or 16, you may not be allowed to get the vaccine. Great. So hypothetically, when we do get the vaccine, um, once you get it, uh, can you go around and see your friends who aren't vaccinated? As we've talked about quite a bit, after you get the vaccine, you'll be immune to COVID-19. So if you get infected with the virus, you probably won't get sick. Another aspect we need to think about is the transmission of the virus. So if you have the vaccine and you, and you contract the virus, you may not get sick, but you may still be able to transmit it to people around you. It's shown that the vaccine may reduce transmission, but we're still not completely sure. And as we've talked about, the vaccines are new, so we don't know exactly how long the immunity will last. But it's been shown that it can last for several months to a year. But again, this will require a long time before we can actually determine this. Basically, you still need to wear your mask and maintain your distance and wash your hands because we're just not sure until everyone is vaccinated. This is a current area of research, so we need to stay tuned and see what finds out as time goes on. So myths and misinformation. 
In this section, I'm hoping to cover a bunch of concerns that people seem to be having and that seem to be circulating online, um, as well as talking about how you can help to prevent the spread of misinformation. So first and foremost, is the vaccine safe? The short answer is yes. All three vaccines have followed three phase clinical trials to prove they are safe and effective. They have been tested on tens of thousands of volunteers. Furthermore, Health Canada continues to monitor their safety and efficacy and reports any problems that may occur with these vaccines. In addition, mRNA and viral vector vaccines have actually been around for quite some time with different applications. For example, the mRNA vaccines have been used in cancer research, so it's not a completely new technology. So it seems like the vaccine was uh, produced and starting to be administered very quickly. How do we know that it's effective when it was produced so quickly? Well, as we've mentioned previously, this pandemic has had a massive impact on the whole world. So government bodies have tried to accelerate processes that might've taken longer. However, this still means that the viruses have gone through their three phase clinical trials. A way that it was sped up was phase one and phase two were parallelized, which means that we were able to assess safety and immune responses faster. Furthermore, the several governments have invested huge amounts of money into the research of these vaccines to try and speed them up. And as we mentioned earlier, this technology already existed for treatment of other medical conditions such as cancer. Usually vaccine manufacturers will wait until the phase three trials are completed, which means the vaccine shows safety and efficacy before they begin large manufacturing procedures. For the COVID-19 vaccines, we've accelerated this procedure by beginning manufacturing before they were even approved for use. However, this doesn't mean that the accelerated development implied that there were cuts to the safety scientific or ethical integrity of the vaccines. Another concern that people seem to have is that the COVID vaccine was developed to control the general population through a microchip. Is this true? This conspiracy seems to have arisen because Bill Gates, who was the founder of Microsoft, put a lot of money into the development of a vaccine. However, this is a complete myth. When the vaccine is developed and released, it's required to have a detailed report of all the ingredients and their origins that are inside the vaccine. You can actually find these on the Health Canada website. And I can assure you that microchip is not one of the ingredients of the vaccine. Furthermore, there are too many professionals and authorities who have been involved in the manufacturing and development process to have a microchip be inserted without anyone noticing. Furthermore, a microchip would make the vaccine unable to be used as it, would, it is too big to pass through the syringe that is used to distribute the COVID vaccine. Okay, good to know. So another uh, worry that people seem to have is that the COVID vaccine causes infertility. So is that true? Again, this isn't something that we've seen so far. There's no reason to believe that there are any specific risks to pregnant women. In fact, some studies have shown that pregnant mothers who recover from COVID-19 can pass on their immunity to their babies. And we're hoping that 
mothers who have been vaccinated may be able to pass on their immunity to their babies. Okay, cool. So I've heard a little bit in the news about the AstraZeneca vaccine potentially causing like blood clots that are fatal. Is that true? What do we know about that? Yeah, so recently the European Medicines Agency, which is the European equivalent of Health Canada or the FDA in the United States, they've reported 25 cases of blood clots in the brain in Germany, Norway, the UK and India. But this is out of about 20 million people who have been immunized with the AstraZeneca vaccine. It's not clear yet if these clots are caused by the vaccine. And it's also important to note that these clots are treatable if they're detected. Health Canada has not reported any cases of these blood clots in Canada. Yeah, so the government is continuing to monitor the situation and they continue to report that the benefits of obtaining any of the COVID vaccines significantly outweigh the risks. Um, which is infection with the COVID disease itself. So it might have just been the person had blood clots anyway, and it wasn't actually related to the vaccine. They just happened to have gotten that vaccine too. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, clinical trials are like, you only get a certain sample of the population. So when the vaccines roll out into the general population, um, you'll start to see effects that may just be unlucky situations where someone who may have had a previous condition ends up getting blood clots um, that weren't spotted in a clinical trial. So yeah, definitely the benefits of preventing a COVID infection are significantly, significantly higher than um, the minuscule chance of potentially getting blood clots. Good to know. So As we've just seen, there seems to be a lot of misconceptions going around about this vaccine. So where are the best places to get information? The best places to get information are the Canadian government websites. Many health authorities also have press releases and press conferences that you can follow on a regular basis. The World Health Organization also has some excellent resources, as well as Johns Hopkins University has an excellent FAQ on the vaccines on their website. So do you think that it's a good idea to start reading through scientific reports um, talking about different aspects of the vaccine? Unfortunately, much of scientific literature is too dense and uses very specific terminology that would be too confusing for an average consumer. It's probably best for an average person to avoid reading these. And all this research is very new. What one study may show may not be backed up by another study in another country or following other procedures. So it's best to follow what the actual body of knowledge says rather than one specific study at a time. How can we reduce the spread of misinformation? People are more likely to believe something from a friend than from a government source. So try your best to resist this urge. It's best to get your information from a reputable source such as the Canadian government or the World Health Organization. So scrolling through Facebook, um, I often see people posting things that I can just tell are blatant misinformation. So what can I do to prevent the spread of misinformation this way when I see someone sharing it? Information seems to be best retained when it's presented in, in an infographic. So it's good to be aware of this. It's best to respond to misinformation directly by linking a reliable source. 
It's not worth it to get in a fight on social media with someone. Try to remember to be polite and to connect with them because at the end of the day, it's just another person who is also concerned and confused. Thank you very much for talking to me about this, Pascal. I definitely learned a lot from this conversation and I'm very excited to get my vaccine and be able to see my friends and travel safely. Yeah, you're welcome, Camille. It's very encouraging to read about all this engineering that's been going on to try and make the world a better place for everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Special thanks to Sam Newhook and Dr. Rod Russell from the Memorial University of Newfoundland's Faculty of Medicine. For more information about our podcast, or if you have any feedback, questions, or episode ideas, please visit uwaterlooewb.wixsite.com slash podcast. For more information about our chapter, find us on Instagram at Engineers Without Borders UW and on Facebook at EWBUW. Thanks again for listening.